Yeah, so I wish I could say that I, the Lord inspired this especially for you this morning, but I went back into my files and found this from 12 years ago, and so I think that the Lord can re-inspire it, hopefully. Sometimes leftovers are better than the first time, right? <coughs> yeah, and I don't think we're going to spend a lot of time here this morning with this message, but I want to read to you something. Is this turned up too loud? Is that too loud? Or, um, and then we want to spend some time looking at Philippians 3 and... Yeah. This is um, an email that was dated, showed up in my inbox, November 14th, 2009. <coughs> and it's from David Reiser. Some of you may have heard this before. I, uh, it's one of those emails that you get and you wonder, is this really an authentic email or did somebody just kind of spin it? And so I actually researched it a bit and actually talked to David Reiser on the phone. <coughs> and he said, yeah, this is this was his experience. So he says, a number of years ago, I had the privilege of teaching at a school of ministry. My students were hungry for God, and I was constantly searching for ways to challenge them to fall more in love with Jesus and to become voices for revival in the church. I came across a quote attributed most often to Reverend Sam Pascal. It is a short version of the history of Christianity, and it goes like this. Have you heard this before? Um, Christianity started in Palestine as a fellowship. It moved to Greece and became a philosophy. It moved to Italy and became an institution. It moved to Europe and became a culture. It came to America and became an enterprise. Some of the students were only 18 or 19 years old, barely out of diapers. Sorry, 18 or 19 year olds. <laughs> it's really not quite the way it is. And I wanted them to understand and appreciate the import of the last line. So I clarified it by adding an enterprise. That's a business. After a few moments, Martha, the youngest student in the class, raised her hand. 
I could not imagine what her question might be. I thought the little vignette was self-explanatory and that I had performed it brilliantly. Nevertheless, I acknowledged Martha's raised hand. Yes, Martha. <clears throat> she asked such a simple question. A business? But isn't it supposed to be a body? I could not envision where this line of questioning was going. And the only response I could think of was, yes. She continued, but when a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? The room went dead silent. For several seconds, no one moved or spoke. We were stunned, afraid to make a sound because the presence of God had flooded into the room. And we knew we were on holy ground. All I could think in those sacred moments was, wow, I wish I'd thought of that. I didn't dare express that thought aloud. God had taken over the class. Martha's question changed my life. For six months, I thought about her question at least once every day. When a body becomes a business, isn't that a prostitute? There was only one answer to her question. The answer is yes. The American church, tragically, is heavily populated by people who do not love God. How can we love him? We don't even know him. And I mean really know him. I stand by my state statement that most American Christians do not know God, much less love him. The root of this condition originates in how we came to God. Most of us came to him because of what we were told he would do for us. We were promised that he would bless us in life and take us to heaven after death. We married him for his money. And we don't care if he lives or dies as long as we can get his stuff. We have made the kingdom of God into a business, merchandising his anointing. This should not be. We are commanded to love God and are called to be the bride of Christ. That's pretty intimate stuff. We are supposed to be his lovers. How can we love someone we don't even know? And even if we do know someone, is that a guarantee that we truly love them? Are we lovers or prostitutes? I was pondering Martha's question again one day and considered the question, what's the difference between a lover and a prostitute? I realized that both do many of the same things, but a lover does what she does because she loves. A prostitute pretends to love, but only as long as you pay. Then I asked the question, what would happen if God stopped paying me? For the next several months, I allowed God to search me to uncover my motives for loving and serving him. 
Was I really a true lover of God? What would happen if he stopped blessing me? What if he never did another thing for me? Would I still love him? Please understand, I believe in the promises and blessings of God. The issue here is not whether God blesses his children. The issue is the condition of my heart. Why do I serve him? Are his blessings in my life the gifts of a loving father? Or are they a wage that I have earned or a bribe slash payment to love him? Do I love God without any conditions? It took several months to work through these questions. Even now I wonder if my desire to love God is always matched by my attitude and behavior. I still catch myself being disappointed with God and angry that he has not met some perceived need in my life. I suspect this is something which I never fully resolve. But I want more than anything else to be a true lover of God. So what is it going to be? Which are we? Lovers or prostitutes? I don't know what you think of when you hear that. Or what, what scriptures you think of when you think of knowing God. Do we, he asked the question, do we really even know him? I'd like to read from Philippians 3. I'd like to read it in two different versions. I'm going to start by reading it in the King James Version, which is probably what most of us are familiar with. Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. And if, you're, if you wonder about some of this King James language, just remember we're going to read it in another translation after a bit. Verse 2 says, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. For what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord. Do we even know him? I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, 
that I may win Christ and be found in him and be found in him not having mine own righteousness which is of the law but that which is through the faith of Christ the righteousness which is of God by faith verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that if, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working wherein he is able, even to subdue all things unto himself. That was all of Philippians 3, verses 1 to 21. Now let's go back. I'd like to read that in the New Living Translation. And in this Bible, the heading it gives us here is the priceless value of knowing Christ. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Verse 12, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all of us who are spiritually mature, let all of us who are perfect, let all of us who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But you must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, Pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which, with which he will bring everything under his control. So, do you know Christ? Do we know Christ? Are we lovers or prostitutes? Are we serving him because we love him? And are we loving him just because of the stuff he does for us and gives to us? Or are we truly in love with him? Verse 8 again, yes, everything else is worthless 
when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could win Christ. You know, you, you just have to think about it a little bit. Why, why are we here? Why did you come to church this morning? Why are you a Christian? Why are you a believer? Why do you go through these motions? Are they just motions? So I think I would love to hear discussion around these concepts. And I think we'll save that for the Sunday school time. And uh, thank you for listening and look forward to the discussion. <laughs>